Side one is calm, non-abusive, although highly fragmented. Side two is schizophrenic. We travel every Saturday. We go wherever we play and pay. Spending money we can't afford. We are the fans. We go everywhere. Thanks for joining us once again on the AFTN Podcast. I'm your host, Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And you're listening to Episode 5 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Podcast. Now before we get underway, we'll just warn you that this episode has some bad language in it, some swearing, some expletives. But if you're commenting on the Whitecaps' most recent games against Dallas and Edmonton, There's no way you can talk about that without not letting off some F-bombs. So if those kind of things offend you, just stop listening now and we'll catch you next week. And for everyone else, let's get underway. So let's kick things off with a look back at the disappointing Dallas game at the weekend. I wish we didn't have to. I know, it's, (laughs) it's another defeat on the road. We haven't won, I think, since the start of July last year when we beat... It would have been Colorado, I think. Yes, yeah. Colorado, Barry Robson's first game, I think. So we're, we're coming up to a year. I, I said on AFTN a, a few weeks ago, I don't think we're going to get any points on the road until probably August. Or like any wins on the road until about August. And the Dallas game certainly didn't fill me with any any new hopes that that might change anytime soon. What did you make of the overall game? I think it was absolute shit. The game lacked everything that the Whitecaps had before. I, I know I, I'll take it back to the other two games or three games. Sorry, at least there they actually showed up. This team on Saturday seemed like they never trained with each other before, especially when you know going forward or anything like that. It it just showed nothing. And when they made the subs, this finally something happened in the game, essentially. Especially when Camilo came on, they had a little spurt at the end of the five minutes of uh, the first half. And other than that, it was just the end of the game. But by then, it was too late. It seemed like they just gave up. Definitely way too little too late. And you mentioned in the subs coming on and, and it being a different team with the subs. Do you not feel that the, the team that finished the game is pretty much the team that should maybe have started it? I think so. I think, you know, and I'm going to say this. I, I'm one of Matt Watson's biggest fans. But he, I, I can't recall anything he did in the game. It's. It seemed like he. Like I know against LA, everybody was mentioning at the beginning he how he played against LA in that position, but that was more of he played more of a central role. I know he flanked out a little bit, but he was a lot in the central. He made that one pass to Maddox to set up the goal, but other than that, he wasn't that out there that much. But this game, it, he disappeared. So it's a, it's a hard game for him to come in as well. First minutes of the season, he's been trying to get his fitness up after having a knock, and then you just pitch him in to start in, in an away game in Dallas. It just 
in a position he doesn't play normally. Yeah, it, it just didn't make, make sense. I mean, what do you think of, of Rennie's continued tinkering with the team? I think it's a good idea. I have no problem with it. But I think we were talking about it before, off air, about how maybe not do a drastic tinkering the way that he's doing, especially at the front. Yeah, I mean, why change three striking positions? Watson maybe wasn't a strike, but you're well, changing kind of like... was in the striking position. Yeah, though. but why would you change all three of them in the one game? Yeah. It just makes no sense. Yeah. And I know he had injuries, and he, he unfortunately, Herzog took the knock during the week, which ruled him out with concussion. Kenny Miller's still not okay. But interestingly, to hear what Rennie said after the game, that... The reason he's making the changes is he's not wanting to burn people out too soon. And he wants to throw these guys in to see what they've got. And it is better, I guess, to do that earlier in the season than, say, in the middle of the season when points are really, really vital. From the guys that you've seen coming in, is there anyone there that you think took their chance or anyone that just disappointed you? Well, we talked about Watson already. Um, one thing about uh, Tom Heineman, I know we were before saying that you know early in the season we were not sure why he's in the team. Yeah, but I thought he showed pretty good work ethic. I think he was on the ball. I think he's just uh, he's just got to get his uh, touch in and everything like that. But I think he showed something. Uh, maybe not finish, but he definitely did show something. He aggravated the uh, the two center backs, uh, Hedges and John, quite a bit. So I, I, th- I, I like think it, that he does that. Yeah, he does that. He was doing it, I remember, against RSL too yeah. when he came on. He really got up. He really again. puts himself about. And I think, was he playing against, I can't remember if he was playing against Huskies as well. Yes. Yeah, because he was doing that to the Huskies yeah. guys. And I, I like what he brings to that. I like having a big guy up front that can cause those problems. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the media after the game that Rennie made the changes to try and match up players to the players that Dallas had do, do you think that is what he did or when I saw the lineup I have to say I thought Rennie's basically thought we've, we're not going to get anything out of this I may as well just throw these guys in and see what they can do well I can't see how he does that because he's always talked about how he he does he's not concerned about the other team he wants to play with the way he wants to play and the team he's going to play so like he, he'd rather play their game and not worry about what the other guys are going to do so if he is doing that for that reason, I, I don't think he mentioned it himself. The other people were saying that, right? Yeah. So I, I think if he if that's what he is, a little bit hypocritical of him to say that. Now, on the other hand, I think mostly most likely that he just because of the injuries and everything, he had few options. But I still think that you know guys like Maddox, Camilo, I think those would have been better options to start unless he's saving them. If you look at the game, is it a case that the White Caps were just bad? Or were Dallas just really good, or is it a bit of both? I think it was Dallas. I, th- I, th- I thought Dallas played a decent game, but I think it was mostly Vancouver was bad. I think they just got overrun. If you look at the two goals, even uh, the two goals, uh, it, those both the goals kind of bad luck goals to give up. But the the goals that they didn't give up, the chances there were plenty of chances where Dallas could have finished. So I don't think Dallas played that great. The the one goal where Bruce it went out with Bruce's back, Bruce just got bowled over by whoever he was marking. It might have been Hedges or John. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I then, think it was John. And then um, the other one was just the YP. I don't know why players do this, but it seemed like he deflected it on purpose or something instead of just taking the hit right on the leg or something like that. It was a weird thing. It's like same thing with Davidson did 
against uh, uh, Chivas, where he c- turned at the last second when he when the ball came at him. So I don't know if the, this is something that p- defenders do or not. I'm not sure, but it seemed weird to me the way he just turned at the last second and almost like deflected it towards Perez. The, the other thing with the second goal as well, when I first saw it, just like split second of it, if it getting crossed and headed in, I was like, he's got to be offside. Then you see the replay and no, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So do you put that down to good play by Perez, managing to stay on side, managing to come out and get a perfect header in, or is it another case that the white cap defenders weren't paying proper attention and let him get the better of them? I I, I go back every every time talking about how the white cap seem to give too much space to that, any any opponents. It seems like whenever the white caps are playing, they have no space because everybody's already on them. And whenever they're yeah. def- the white caps are defending, everybody's just like. Everybody kind of looks like Barcelona and Barcelona light or whatever. They're able to ping the ball around so easily, and the Whitecaps are just standing there. So I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is tactics by Rennie that they want to uh, keep energy and not waste energy by chasing people around and just wait to vote. But some of these guys are talented enough to score from distance, and sometimes you get bad luck when you when you give too much space and and like the game goal against Chivas, the goal from uh, Cooper that to Perez. Those are examples of when you give too much room, bad things can happen. Now, obviously, like the Whitecaps just now, we're in the middle of two back-to-back games, two league games against Dallas, two Voyagers Cup games against Edmonton. We are a much different team away from home than we are from at home. And we've got Dallas now coming to BC Place on Saturday. Can, Can you see the Whitecaps being able to turn things around in the home game from what we saw last week? If yes, how how can they do that? I basically think that they, if they play the same way that they played at home in their first three games and finish their chances, they should be able to beat Dallas, even if Dallas has a good game. It's just a matter of doing that, and it all obviously will depend on who star- uh, who starts again with them. Um, and th- that's essentially you know who's going to be available and and be up to, you know with the proper energy levels after the Edmonton game. In an ideal world, then, what would be your starting eleven? And what do you think Rennie's going to go with? I know it's, it's kind of hard to say just now because he keeps making these changes at the last minute. I mean, no one expected Kobayashi not to make the trip. Yeah. And it turns out it, was, it wasn't through injury. It was just because he was being rested, which I, I find crazy this early in the season that, that you're resting a player. But he had said on, on Whitecaps Daily on Monday, Kobayashi has never experienced travel like this and it's kind of been a little bit of a shock to him. So I, I guess it kind of maybe makes a little bit of sense. But in saying that, who would you have as your ideal starting eleven? It, well, are we talking about if everyone's healthy? Yeah, or? Let, let's just go. If everyone's healthy, who who are you saying just now are the eleven guys that should be starting for the Caps? I'll go obviously from the back end. I'll go Cannon just because he has played very well. I wasn't saying Cannon at the beginning of the season, but I think Cannon. Yeah, I'm with uh, you there. the back end. Again, we're just saying if everybody's fully fit, you go uh, YP Lee, Leveron, um, O'Brien, Rochat. Um, I would play a diamond midfield. I would put uh, Rio Coker in the back. I think he can play as a holding and he can play that deep blind playmaker. But do you, not, do you not think we would then miss what he's bringing in the central role? Because he's making so many passes. Well, I would bring him up. I wouldn't have him protecting so much. So he wouldn't be as deep as yes. like a, a proper box-to-box guy? Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So, and then um, uh, I have him there, and then there's a tip, and then you got Tiber and Kofi on each side. The thing is, Kofi and Rio Coker, I think, can switch back and forth. Yeah, definitely. And then, so Kofi can sometimes play back in the holding. I think he can play holding. I know a lot of people are saying that he's not capable of playing holding. What, what do you have to do? You have to tackle. He does that. And you have to pass out of the back, which he does. So, I think he can do it. So, Tiber, Kofi there. I would put Kobayashi at the top point of that diamond. I think he's better centrally. He can ping the ball around. He can use the fullbacks a little bit more. And then obviously at up top, I would put uh, Kenny Miller with either Camilo or Maddox. I, I don't think I would disagree too much with that. Lever on, as, as we've discussed the last couple of weeks, I'm st- the jury's still out on him as far as I'm concerned. I'd, I'd rather be just brought in a brand um, new centre half. Lever on, I'm basing on the Olympics. If he can play like he played in the Olympics, then definitely I think he can do it. Right now, yeah, you're right. He hasn't shown much, but that's because he's probably completely out of shape. His height worries me. He's, I think he's an inch taller than me, and the thought of me playing centre-back is just like a, a scary thought. Yeah. But I, I would just bring a new guy in. That, that's just how I would go with that. I, I like the midfield. I like the diamond formation as well. I think at some point we have to stop looking at the players and start looking at the tactics and saying, is Martin Rennie's rigid tactics the thing that's costing the team? He doesn't seem to want to play 4-4-2. He doesn't... I mean, even a 3-5-2 switching to 5-3-2 going forward, that could be an exciting prospect. But he's so rigid in his tactics, especially on the road, and I think that is ultimately what's costing us just now. It's maybe, maybe not that the players aren't good enough, it's just they can't play the way that they're... That he's wanting them to play. It's the and for me, it's the insistence of putting Kobe Oshie on the wing. Every time he has made a contribution to the team, the TFC goal, the goal against Columbus, he and I think there was one other one. He was centrally located in all those goals, right in the middle. He made a switch. Somebody came out to the wing. He went into the middle, good point, and yeah. he made a good play there. So basically, I think that he uh, that that's the one where I, I I'm still baffled that he keeps playing him on the wing. I don't know what he sees. I think somebody else can be uh, better on the wing. Like if you have Rio Coker and Tiber, they can easily go on the wing. Like uh, Rio Coker um, against uh, RSL, the second, late in the second half, he was making great runs down the wing. So if you play that diamond and they're on those two uh, ends on the sides, those guys can make runs any which way they want. Up front, I, I know this isn't a popular answer. I would go with Camillo. Because I, I like what he can bring to the team. I know he can be lazy. I know he can be frustrating and he goes down too easily. But I just think he adds something to the team that no one else in that team can do. I don't know. I We've, we've been saying, or I've been saying, because you said it was too early, but about two weeks ago in the podcast, I came out and said, I don't think the squad is good enough to take us to the playoffs. And every passing game, it just... It makes me think that 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 opinion is 100% correct. And we need to add some freshness to it. Interestingly, that in both of us picking our 11s there, we've not gone for Hurtado or Manny. Well, after that little mess up he did there, I was going to say fuck up, but I guess I can now. Yeah. His first touch is fucking awful. No, it wasn't even his first touch against Dallas. It was his third touch when we went 30 yards ahead of him. When I I saw that on TV, I was like, I was I, I was swearing basically. Yeah. And my wife was like, what's wrong? I rewinded for it. I go, so what? I go, that's, you don't do that. 
You yeah. had two good touches, and all of a sudden you're kicking like 30 yards ahead of you. It's like you've lost a chance. Well, the other thing with Hurtado on Saturday, he was sweating buckets after about 10 minutes. Every time the camera cut to him, he was just dripping in sweat. Obviously, that shows he's putting a lot of effort, but apparently it wasn't that hot down there. So, I mean, is that a fitness aspect? He 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 looked shot after just the opening minutes of the game. Well, he made the 90, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. maybe just misleading, because a few of the other guys were kind of dripped in, in sweat as well, but... Well, they were saying they were saying it wasn't as hot as yeah. it normally would. But it would it's still, still be hot. hot, and for someone like me, it would, it would just be like kind of unbearable. So I think I I'm not optimistic that we're going to get anything out of Dallas. I think we'll have a defeat, maybe two one on Saturday. Worryingly, my predictions in the last couple of weeks have been bang on, which is really not good from the Whitecaps point of view. What has been good from the Whitecaps point of view is, despite this bad run of form, and it's kind of maybe better to get this really crappy run out of the way now than what we did last year and have it in the middle of the season when we really need to get the points on the board. But we're not playing well. For the first time this year, we've dropped out of the top five. We're sitting in seventh spot. But between LA in second and Colorado in eighth, there's just three points separating those seven teams. So it's still really tight. We're certainly by no means out of it. But you kind of have to think at some point, all these other teams are going to click into place. Do you think the team that we have and the squad that we have are going to click and have all be firing on all cylinders and actually start to get the job done? It all depends on the players and the tactics that they use. Basically, last year, remember LA, how horrible they started. True, and And they they turned it around. Yes, so they turned it around. I, I think it's a long season. All these teams that are like firing right off the bat, they will fade a little bit. Dallas has picked up a big head of steam right now, so I don't know if they'll fade that much. But uh, a lot of those teams, I I don't think Portland is as good as people say. Um, That's just my opinion. I've just not been impressed with them at all. I think San Jose has slipped a little bit. Um, So there are some teams that are going to fall back. Seattle, I think, is going to start rising, even though I hope they don't, but I still think they will. Well, Saturday's game against Colorado, they, they got their first win of the season disappointing for everyone that was enjoying their misery but they played really well in stages there was parts of the game especially in the first half where they looked like they had really clicked and connected and in the second half they were like awful and Colorado really should have got a point out of that but the signs are there that Seattle is going to start to pick up they're now three points off us they were on Saturday we don't all of a sudden we're joint bottom and we would be what that would be fourteen points off the top as well from Dallas. Yeah, so. but look at look at one team that's already. No, I don't want to say fading, but nobody's really talking about them. Chivas, the goats. They nobody talks about. They're not the talk of the town anymore. No, they they've kind of slowed down, yeah. and they're going to be leveling out now. They had a really good run at the beginning. Unfortunately, Vancouver faced them during that run. Yeah. So, but they're kind of leveling out too. So everybody levels out eventually. I think. I think it's going to be a close race at the end. Now, Dallas have impressed me. I, I think they've done really well, and they they weren't diving around as much at all. And I, what I found fascinating last week is that sound bite that I got at training from Nigel Rio Coker. The airplay that that got, it was tweeted out, it was in the papers, it was on radio stations. Dallas commentators during the match on Saturday, because I, I ended up watching the Dallas feed, because my PVR completely fucked up and I never ended up recording it. They were going on about it. I had a big caption up on the screen. I, I don't know. It's it's really weird because the way he said it, which if you listened to our podcast last week, 
it was in a jokey term. But when you see it written down, it looks really bad. So is a comment like that maybe going to get him a reputation that he's going to be a hard tackler or a dirty player and have referees watching him? It could, very much. Especially pe- people don't look at tone anymore. If you look at Twitter and everything like that, or whenever somebody makes yeah. a tweet, nobody looks at tone anymore. So it's, it's essentially lost in this modern day. I know. So essentially, because nobody looks at tone of what the person's saying, it's it's gonna it's gonna happen that he's probably gonna get some kind of look at from because referees read stuff. Yeah, they they read stuff. They're not gonna they're not yeah like, they're not gonna listen to the podcasts. They they're don't, they're they, gonna read things as yeah, well. Yeah, they don't have people you know saying you can't read this. They're not like they're not like a jury or anything like that where they say they're sequestered or something before a game, so they know what's going on. And they don't seem very bright either, so uh, so they probably won't take well, you know the way it's said in, in a different way. And it probably means now as well, Nigel Rio Coker is not going to speak to me at training ever again. He's going to be like, God, that's that Scottish guy that's created all this buzz about me. Last thing we'll mention about Dallas. I mentioned that they weren't diving so much, but I noticed that David Ferreira, because he's the captain this year, his armband, instead of saying captain or just being blank, actually has DF on it. Which I, I think it's it's really brave of him to come out and say, yes, I am a diving fuck. Because surely that is all it could stand for. I don't know, I'm not sure. Was it a, a, is it a captain's armband? Uh, yeah, he's, oh. he's, he's the captain. <laughs> I, it's bizarrely got DF on it. Now maybe it means something that we don't know about. I googled it to try and find out if there was some meaning, some dead person he was paying tribute to. Couldn't see that. To me, diving fuck. So good for David Ferreira for standing up and finally admitting that. So let's move away from depressing Dallas for a while. Um, We'll come to the second game that the Whitecaps have played this week against Edmonton later in the show. We want to kind of look at some good news, some some feel-good stuff from the Whitecaps residency. As we mentioned in the last couple of weeks, and as you're bound to know, five residency players were away in Panama with the Canadian men's under-17 team, qualifying for the World Cup later this year, in the United Arab Emirates. One of the stars of the Canadian team was goalkeeper and captain Marco Carducci. So Marco was on the bench against San Juan on Sunday and whilst he was watching the game kick off, we spoke to him for a few minutes about what it was like being away with the national team, being the captain of the side, his hopes for the future, his hopes for the residency this season. So because it was being recorded while the game was going on, there's a little bit of background noise, so you can put up with that. But this is what you had to see. So we're joined now by Marco Carducci, just back from the Canadian men's under-17, clinching a place at the World Cup later this year. So, first question to ask you, Marco, how did you find the whole experience down in Panama? It was, I mean, it was really good. Um, it's always a great honour to, to be with the national team to represent your country. And obviously we came into the, to the qualifying with a goal to qualify for the World Cup. And when we got that done, it was an unreal feeling, um, you know. And then we, we, after we, you know, we really enjoyed our... Uh, our celebrations and but then we had the intent to do as best as we could the rest of the tournament and uh, it was a great experience we played the hosts so uh, 
10,000 fans at our game against Panama, which was something I've never experienced before. And then we got we got our, our the third place of bronze medal, which was a great achievement for us, and it was it was really nice to leave with a medal, and not only to qualify, but to leave with a medal was something really good. So it was a great experience, and uh, definitely a huge learning experience as well. And now I'm just excited for the World Cup, preparing for that. Now the the two games, like the game against Jamaica, where you you clinched the spot at the World Cup, and then the third place game. Which one for you personally was the the more exciting game to be part of? Um, they were both very exciting for sure. The uh, the the quarterfinal against Jamaica was was obviously there was so much on the line, so it was very uh, exciting. You know, we went down a couple of times, and then we came back into the game, and we ended up winning. And you know that led to the World Cup qualification, so that was very exciting. But the way in which we did the same thing, we came back twice, but very late against Honduras, and then we uh, ended up winning on in the penalty shootout was was uh, something I haven't experienced before either, going that far. So I don't know. I'd say they're both equally exciting, but the uh, the one thing was qualifying for the World Cup was just uh, something that was a huge sigh of relief kind of thing. And we once we got that done against Jamaica, it was just a great feeling, you know. But um, definitely taking Honduras all the way to penalties after going down and coming back twice in the dying minutes of the game was was uh, something I never experienced before. Like to see a team score two goals like so late in in, yeah. in normal time and then in extra time. Did did you think it was over or did you still think there was a chance? You know, at times in the game we just seemed really lifeless. And after we conceded relatively early, um, once the game was starting to close out, I thought you know. I still tried to keep the guys going, and we all had the belief that we could still get out of the game um, and, and get get the result. But uh, definitely near the end of the game was just kind of like you know, we were st- I was still had the thought in my head that you know we'd done our job to qualify, but we really wanted to leave with the medal. So I thought you know I was disappointed that that I thought yeah maybe we were going to lose the game. Um, and then when we came back uh, at the end of an uh, extra time uh, or an added time, it was uh, it was ex- it was unbelievable. Um, when we tied it up at 1-1 um, and then you know we took them the extra time and you know the guys were tired and you know we're still fighting the heat um, and everything about about playing in Panama and then they scored again and that was really depressing again because we knew you know we did so much we worked so hard to res- to, to get the draw uh, or to tie right before the end of, the, of uh, the 90 minutes and then and then they scored and we thought all that worked for nothing and then again we scored so uh, just Back to the point, I did. You know, we, I'm, I'm sure it was kind of natural for everybody to think, oh, they they lost it, um, and even I felt the same way. I thought, you know, I still had hope, but it was uh, it was it was a small small little little glimmer of hope left. But we got the job done, which was uh, which is an awesome feeling for sure. As being the captain and the and, and, and the keeper, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a difficult thing. So, how like especially the Jamaican game when you guys went down a couple times early how difficult is it to get the guys motivated when you're kind of like you know isolated in that and you're not up there and everything like that yeah um well for me i've always been i've always tried to be you know vocal and a leader whether or not i'm wearing the armband and i always um i always have the mindset was actually taught to me from marius on the first thing he said whether or not you're captain you should play like you have the armband on um and as a goalkeeper i think regardless whether you're captain or not you have to be a leader um, and it is difficult at times, especially when we go down and, you know, you have to be a presence, even though sometimes you're not a part of everything, um, especially when we're attacking. So you just got to, I mean, you have a great relationship with all the guys. And, and I know uh, 
there's respect among everybody and I, being the captain as well gave me that extra incentive to make sure that I was pushing the guys through as much as I could so I just did everything I could you know remain positive and, and confident that we could get the job done and you know we get the chance to talk through it during halftime because we were down 2-1 at halftime but you really just got to keep keep them going and, and get the most out of the guys and first you got to get the most of yourself but then you got to focus on getting the most out of the rest of the guys now off the pitch what was your what was your favorite memory off the pitch not, uh, not maybe maybe something to do with the game but not like totally to do with the game. well maybe something that kind of has something to do with the game would definitely be the the um, celebrations after we qualified um, but every moment we experienced together was was uh, <laughs> was fantastic in uh, in Panama we, we were in a, a beautiful place and we really enjoyed it um, off the pitch but I, I'd have to say the the, uh, the feeling and the celebrations we, we had after the match um, on the bus ride back to the hotel was uh, it was really fun there's actually some video of it as well I'm sure some guys have seen but it was uh, that definitely has to be one of the best moments. Now, you, you saved the penalty in the shootout. We've seen you do that for the residency before as well. What is it that makes you such a good goalkeeper with penalty situations? For me, I feel like as a goalkeeper, I don't feel very much pressure when it comes to a penalty shootout or even a penalty situation in the game. Unless, unless of course, you're the guy who fouls the, the player, which happened actually the first time last year against Crossfire, um, which I felt... You know, I fought the guy, so I had to make the save to make up for it, which I did, which I was happy about. But in a shootout, I really go in with a lot of confidence in myself. And I, you know, there's a lot of techniques and there's a lot of things you can use to try to, you know, read where they're going or react to where they're going that uh, I've been, been training all my life and since since being with the club with Reagan, he's really helped with that too. But um, like I said, the main thing is I don't really feel much pressure. And I, I know that when the player steps up, it's his it's his role. It's uh, it's on him to score. So when it comes down to me making the saves, you know you kind of get the you kind of get the credit and the glory. But um, you know you just got to stay big and you know, use little tricks and and uh, you know when you make the save, you make the save. So it's always a good feeling. There's five residency guys that that were over there. Could could have been um, six. But how important is it to the Canadian team to have all you guys playing for the same club? Um, it's it's huge for sure. I and mean, for us, it's it's great because we spend pretty much every minute of every day together when we're here in Vancouver, um, and you can definitely see the connection at times when we were in training and in games. I mean, we were definitely all bonded together as a national team. We've been on many projects now, so you know we're really close to everybody. But being all together, I think it really helps uh, in terms of it's always great to be able to represent Vancouver and the club. And um, I mean, some of us are from all over the place, right? But uh, we definitely have a bit of a connection. I think you can see that with guys like uh, Bustos and uh, Chow doing the most most of the work up front and me and Comsi are kind of at the back so we've got a bit of connection because we spend so much time playing and training together which I definitely think will help and how, how are you going to fill in these months now just waiting for the World Cup to yeah. come around it must be just so exciting for you yeah um, we kind of talked about it with the coach at the end it was now it's really uh, it still really hasn't sunk in that, we're, that we've qualified so I'm still kind of thinking about it a lot but uh sooner or later it's just going to have to be within the next week you're just going to have to say now it's time to focus and, and uh, get back to training hard every day and uh, just preparing yourself for, for what's next and obviously the World Cup is going to be something along those lines So, and, uh, uh, Does Sean Fleming plan to have any training camps between now and then? Are you going to be away? We, we haven't uh, discussed about anything specific as of yet, when or how many but there definitely will be for sure um, and you know it'll be, it'll be important for us to get 
get together again and start training again because we know it's going to be the next chapter of the World Cup is going to be even more difficult and we'll have to be at our best. Now for the rest of this season with the residency, are you hoping to play for the 18s or the 16s? Um, for me, the biggest thing is playing time. and uh, I've been training a lot with the 18s, which is great to be in that very high level of uh, training and hopefully get chances with the reserves in the first team as well, which is always a goal to have. But like I said, for me, um, playing time is always good. And, you know, it's a different situation. Sometimes with the 16s, we have a, a lot younger team than typically we're, the teams we play against. So it's been difficult lately, but uh, it's good to be to play in those environments and playing up with the 18s recently too in, in some big games, such as the Seattle game, has been a great experience as well. So for me, it's all about playing time and just just. You know, getting getting a lot of time and it'll help me grow as a goalkeeper for sure. Playing for the Whitecaps and and go, traveling down to the states and everything, where you're basically Canada versus USA every week. It seems yeah. like, right? How, did that do play a big part for your guys in in this kind of preparation for the the World Cup qualifying. Um, yeah, I'd say so. I think a lot of us have um, here in Vancouver. We have that experience where we. When we play other teams, it's it is a, a it's pretty much a Canada-U.S. rivalry, so we've kind of gotten used to that, and it definitely helps. I mean, even the game we played against Seattle uh, three weeks ago, whatever it was, now it almost seemed like it was just Canada versus USA at times. You know, it's always good to get in games like that as well, and uh, it's a it's good you know rivalry and that kind of thing to be able to to deal with that. So it's definitely helped for sure going away with the national team. And what what is your ultimate goal? Are you looking for a professional career in the game? Mm-hmm. Um, would you look to go overseas? Would you like to have it in, in MLS with the Whitecaps? For me, my ultimate goal is um, playing professionally for sure. No no doubt about it. And uh, wherever that wherever the situation comes up where I can get that opportunity, I'll take it. And um, obviously, it's a goal for me to to earn a contract here, hopefully. Um, but whatever happens, I'm always have the goal to play professionally. If that means I have to go overseas, then I'll obviously try that out. But um, yeah, definitely professional uh, player is my my dream since since I was a boy for sure. Uh, well, that's great. Thanks for joining us, Marco, and congratulations! You did everyone proud. So as you can hear from that interview, Marco's a, a young player that, that's really, really got his head screwed on. Now, before we talk about what our thoughts are on Marco and, and what he brings to the team and what his future in the game might be, let's hear a little bit from the Canadian men's under-17 head coach, Sean Fleming. And on our recent conference call, I asked him what his views were on Marco Carducci and what kind of future he saw for the player in the game. Well, I think he has a very bright future. He's uh he has all the physical qualities. Uh, he's technically sound. He's tactically good. Uh, but like all young players, it is you know there's no crystal ball to see what will happen. But I mean, what I feel, what I see of him now, I think he could have a long uh, time in the game. He's the captain of the squad, uh, which is, and he just by his example, he's not a real rah rah kind of uh, uh, captain. He's just a natural kid who goes out and works hard every day, every meeting, so concentrated, so focused, and he's just a, a real great leader amongst the group, and I think the boy um, has nothing but a great potential ahead of him, and who knows where that will be. So as Sean says there, it's it's hard at this young age to know exactly what kind of future is going to lie in store for, for a player. We've seen it so often, not just with Canadian players, but with players all over the world. They show a lot of promise when they're 17, 18, even up to under 21 level, under 23 level. And then for whatever reason, 
their star wanes a little bit and they never really live up to their potential. Nigel Real Coker is one such player. He such high hopes for him when he was in the England under twenty ones. And then he never quite made that that step into the senior game and, and broke into the the English senior side. And now he's over in MLS trying to restart his career and hopefully find those past glories again. So Mark is a young lad and he's currently the Canadian men's under-17 player of the year. We've seen him for the last couple of years in the residency. You've watched a lot of him in, in the under-16 games, Steve. What is it you like about him as a player? Uh, I think essentially uh, his maturity. If you look at him, he uh, whenever he does allow a goal... He never gets down on himself. You could tell that the way he, he commands the box and everything like that. I think he does really well in uh, attacking the ball in the air and everything. He's not he's fearless. So essentially, if he keeps working hard, um, like you're saying, if, what you know, if you would ask what he needs to do to keep his, uh, you know, to make sure he does have a future in the game, I think it's basically hard work. He needs to keep working on his game, listen to the people that are coaching him, and be willing to be coached. And and from our interview with him, he definitely he, he definitely is working hard and he's he's drawing a lot from the, the coaching team that the White Caps have for the goalkeepers. And one of the things with the residency programme in particular, we've seen so many good goalkeepers now coming through the ranks. We've had Simon Thomas, we've got Callum Irving, Marco, Nolan Worth, Sean Melvin. Brian Sylvester. Well, I wouldn't really include him. Um, I just never saw anything in him. But that, 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 was, that was just raw talent. But I don't think there was... Very raw. Very raw talent and nothing else in it there. The bad thing, though, from from Marco's point of view, I guess, is he's a goalkeeper. And you've only got one of them playing on the pitch at a time. And looking at the Whitecaps, I'd love to have... Our goalkeepers are Simon Thomas and, and Callum Irvin and, and Marco Carducci taking us for years to come. But if you've got such top talent, you can't have three really top talent just with two of them sitting on the bench. So it's really going to be be hard for him to to have a bright future with the Whitecaps. But I, I do think he could have a, a good future if he looks elsewhere in North America or probably go to Europe. Well, the, the thing is about with keepers, as we all know, for except for a few exceptions... Keepers mature late. They're not going to be immediately starting for anybody, really. Yeah, and they go on. I mean, look at Cannon, 38, and he's still producing match-saving moments and man-of-the-match performances. There's a long shelf life for keepers. So I I, I see no problem with him. If he's he's patient, and and he seems patient, and he learns, and like we said, he can be with the Whitecaps. Who knows, by 22, he might be physically mature enough. And everything like a like a Sean Johnson in um, with Chicago or Bill Hamid, yeah. yeah. So if he keeps on developing like this, he will have a chance. Because honestly, MLS they would rather go with younger keepers because they're cheaper. Oh, and definitely. They do not want to spend money on experienced keepers. That's why you don't see very many around. And Ben Massey had a, a really good post up on his Maple Leaf Forever blog where he was talking. Uh, he was kind of had stats galore about the value that goalkeepers bring. And a lot of people on the Southsiders forum have been talking about, oh, the Whitecaps need to bring in a big money goalkeeper. And I think that's a waste. I think you just have a decent goalkeeper for as cheap as you possibly can. And I think that is the way that the Whitecaps should go. As long as the guy doesn't commit mistakes. 
Yeah, I, I, I want free. a solid, reliable keeper. No, no, I, I don't. I don't, you don't want. Need, you, you you just need somebody that doesn't commit mistakes that can screw up or something like that. That's essentially what you want to do. Yeah, I, I don't want a kind of James style figure that was playing for England. Yeah. Moving away from just Marco and looking at the Canadian under seventeens as as a whole, how do you think they they did in the whole tournament? I think fantastic. Obviously, they did what they came to do: qualify. Yeah. And then on top of that, they beat Honduras. Which it, made Squiz happy. Yeah, I, it was really nice that they got a medal. Yes, I think I, so. I think it, to have gone all that way and to have qualified would have been great. But, I mean, we saw the celebrations that there's video doing around. We'll try and post a link on, on the forum um, in the comment section if you haven't seen that video. But it meant so much to them to qualify. But as Marco said in the interview there, to actually come home with a medal, it was just an, an extra little bit special. And I think... It's something that those guys will cherish for for a long, long time. And the big thing is, is the like, and I think that some some of the guys from the Canadian national team, the the senior team, should look into this about how much heart they showed in the qualifying game and the Honduras game. They came back twice. I, I, I was wanting to game, ask you about mistake. that. Yeah. So twice, like they said, they were they were scared. But they they sh- shut away that fear and they went for it. And that's what I that's what I like their fighting spirit I mean that does more for a squad than than anything it's like to show that you can come back from adversity and you work together as a team and that's what they've shown which a lot of the Canadian teams at various levels haven't shown over the years they, they actually played as a team and they played together and there's been a lot that you've seen with the senior team and maybe not so much with the under 23s and below but in the senior team Often they don't look like they're actually playing as a, they a play scared. unit. They play scared, basically. Yeah, that as well. And the thing is, I, I'm going to say the U23s, even the U23s at the previous Olympic thing, uh, qualifying, they played the US and they didn't play against them scared. The, the, the young, the teams, like the thing you almost want to do is keep these young players away from the senior team. Yeah. So away from that bad environment about these guys that play scared all the time, the older guys, and, and get these guys together and get them together and playing often together camps more camps get some familiarity together like he said that they gel really quickly together yeah but you still want them to i I prefer if they got two to two or three camps before the world cup i think they have to and i think sean fleming is is going to to be a coach that is going to want to do that and they, they need to do that one thing i would like for them to do even if it's a very minor like it seems minor they always seem to have these camps in Florida. I would like them to do these camps, at least one of them, somewhere in Canada. Even if it's in Toronto. I don't care. But in Toronto... It, it need to be somewhere where there's heat. Do, do a friendly, play a friendly in Toronto or in Vancouver where they can get some support out there so that the players see that they've got support behind them. Even if those guys can't show up in... United Arab Emirates, it's a good send-off for them. Too many times I feel the Canadian teams are play, training or somewhere else and playing their friendlies somewhere else. They're not seeing... Like the men's national team, obviously they play at home. But these younger groups, they're not playing in front of home crowds. I know you, you if you can book Swan Guard, you know, for one game, it doesn't have to be... Every, you know, it's good to train in heat, but these guys didn't train that much in heat. They trained a week and then they went off and did their qualifying. So I think they could do one training session. If they do three training sessions, do one at home. And, you know, you got the UBC, all the national training center now. Do one training training session there. 
play in front. Let's do it in August, so it's a dead heat, dead wind, dead of summer. Yeah, right? like so good heat, good heat, and then so basically you get the training, you get them done, ready to go. They play as maybe a friendly at Swan Guard in front of you know good support and everything like that. So they see that they're playing for somebody and something. That that would be excellent. I mean, they could even play against the Caps under 18s or something. Yeah, why not? Because yeah. they're gonna in, in in August they would be, they would be starting their residency. Yep. So it could be like a preseason thing for the USSDA season as well. I, I like that. I think they will have to go places like Florida though just to get acclimatized to the heat because. I, I mean, think, I think it's October. Yeah, so. but I don't think any kind of any anywhere they play is going to get to prepare them for no. the Qatar. It, it's going to be Qatar. hotter down there than Alex Morgan in a bikini. Yes, or uh, Emily Zura actually. If you've seen the Twitter recently, oh no, I haven't. Oh, you got to check that. Out. Oh, I'll have to check out our sweet ride partner. Have to get her doing some promos for this podcast as as well as the West Coast Soccer one. The last thing I want to say about the Seventeens and their fighting spirit is what I liked about them was when they went a goal behind, you actually believed that they were going to come back into it. When they lost a goal, you didn't think their heads were going to go down and that was the end of it. When we've watched the men's senior team and we've watched the under-23s, even the under-20s, if they've been winning and get drawn back level, you think, okay, they're, they're going to go on and lose this. Or if they fall behind, you just don't see them coming back at any point to try and and get back into the game. And the 17s didn't show that at all. And I thought that was fantastic. They did all of Canada proud. And let's just hope that they go on and, and do really well. And Steve has just shown me this picture of Emily Zura in a bikini. And I will definitely have to, to put some pictures of that. Is that a heart tattoo on her th- upper thigh? I think so. Something like that. Nice. Or is it a bruise? Either way, it looks really sexy. So, yeah. We, we love you, Ames. And talking of things that we love, that's going to bring us to our look at Wednesday night's game against Edmonton in the Voyagers Cup. I love the Voyagers Cup. Love the fact that you're playing just a cup competition altogether in Canada. I just love that. Time to have a look back at the Whitecaps versus Edmonton. So I cast my gaze from people Don't worry, your podcast didn't go all distorted there. That was just the wonderful vocoder sounds of one of Glasgow's finest, the Yummy Fur. Now, despite the Whitecaps' best attempts at diminishing my interest in the Voyagers' Cup, I'm still a big fan of the competition, even if we can't get people to turn out and actually get their bums in the seats to watch it. That's going to be a topic I think we'll maybe cover next week, but we'll kind of see what the Whitecaps crowd is next Wednesday, and then we'll we'll maybe take that from there. Wednesday night, though, was what cup competitions are all about for me. The plucky underdog, almost pulling out a giant killing act, knocking off the big boys. That's just what makes cup competitions all around the world fantastic viewing. It's what I grew up watching, it's what I grew up loving. It's not so fun when your team is the team that's on the other end of the giant killing. And the Whitecaps kind of had a lucky escape with that. They they played so many get-out-of-jail-free cards. 
I think they possibly also caught Edmonton's rally rabbit and cut off all four of its legs to rub because they just did not deserve that victory. I mean, what where can you start with it, Steve? It's like, what the fuck did you make of that? It was a team that came in with too much confidence to start off with and then the first goal coming in within five minutes that even, you know, probably uh, put put their ego even higher thinking that they could just walk through this game. And then Edmonton rallied right away with a goal two minutes later, and that basically uh, showed, you know, the Eddies that they could play with these guys. And then then basically the second goal came in, and uh, Vancouver was shell-shocked, I think. They took them until halftime to gather themselves. Um, They carried most of the play in the second half, but... Uh, by and got those got lucky with the penalty. Even the third goal was kind of lucky because it came off the post. But uh, in no means does it mean that the that I think the Edmonton is out of it. I think Vancouver is still not playing up to their standards, and it seems to be playing below or to the whoever they're playing against or below them. So I, it's hard to say what to make out of this game. It it, it completely baffled me. So the game's in the 82nd minute. It looks like the Whitecaps are going to be on the end of an embarrassing defeat. More hard questions going to be asked about Martin Rennie and his team. And then up steps Camilo. Or should I say up flies Camilo. Clear dive for the penalty. Infuriated Colin Miller. I would love to get the audio of what he was saying to the fourth official after that. But it was a dive. Plain and simple. Can't excuse it. I criticise enough players for doing it against the Whitecaps and throughout MLS, so I'm not suddenly going to change my tune and stand up for one of our own when he does that. Ironic kind of to say stand up, because that's just what Camilo doesn't do. And that is one of the reasons that he gets such a hard time from a section of the fan base. But it's a dive. Discuss. Everybody knows that Camilo is a diver. It should come as no surprise. And that's what actually surprised me more, that people were like shocked that the call was made. He can, he can. He's one of the better ones out there. Although he's not getting the calls in MLS as he used to used to get in the past. But you know, a lot of people are saying it was a makeup call for uh, the call that wasn't called on Harvey. Um, you could say that. You could say it was a makeup call for Montreal playing a, a, a second-rate team um, it, it, a few years ago. You could say it was a makeup call uh, for the game being abandoned a couple years ago against TFC. Um, a makeup call for last year when Latou is given a red card. Don't know where that came out of. So you, you could say it was a makeup call for a lot of things, but uh, what can you do when a guy dives? He dives. He, he draws a penalty. He's our diver. <laughs> now Andy O'Brien, Mister Reliable, he made two very uncharacteristic slips in that first half that that gifted Edmonton the two goals. Horrible back pass that fell short for the first one. Second one just did not pick up Chris Nurse at all and just allowed him a free header to make it 2-1. He was also being run ragged by Michael Cox all night, giving me lots of fun on Twitter. O'Brien can't handle Cox. Had a great headline. It's like, really pissed off with Camillo's dive, because my headline was going to be, Nurse! Whitecaps fucked by Big Cox. But I couldn't run that in the end, and I'll not forgive Camillo for that. But Andy O'Brien struggled, and when you saw the lineup. When you saw that he was back there, you were like, yeah, you know, that maybe makes sense. We needed some stability. We needed to have someone in there with experience that could calm the new guys that were around him in Leveron and Clausura. Harvey also coming into the, the back line. And 
a guy that hasn't seen first team minutes this season. So he thought O'Brien was going to be the way to go, but he struggled so much. Off those other guys though, that came in, what did, what did you make of their performances? The first one was uh, pretty shocking, O'Brien. I thought he normally he, he heads that ball over the end line or towards the sideline. So it was surprising that he headed back to um, Knighton. Maybe he didn't see Cox behind him. I'm not sure. So uh, that was a surprise one. Second one, it was partly his fault. I think also Maddox should have uh, been paying attention uh, to Nurse making that run in front of him. That's what his job is. He's not there. He wasn't marking anybody, so he was supposed to catch anybody coming in front. So that was a big problem too. Um, the other guys that came on, I I thought Levron um, didn't have much to do. Uh, but again, that's a good thing when he's not uh, when some uh, defenders not mentioned much. Uh, Klazura and Harvey, I thought played solid games. They had difficulty defending um, uh, by the speed that the Edmonton showed, but. I thought it was a decent game by the guys that came in off the bench. Looking at the whole team, did any one of the starters or Tommy Heineman that came on, did any of them come out of the game with any credit at all? I thought, uh, I I really liked uh, Rio Coker, the way he played out of that holding mid. He he showed more attacking flair than what we normally get with Davidson. I thought Tybert uh, uh, really ran all over the field. Created chances, created problems for the uh, Edmonton. Uh, Heineman coming off the bench, I think he changed stuff and and showed some uh, work ethic again in the middle. He, he seems to really know what to do in the box. And then uh, Brad Knighton, um, he gave up two goals, but I don't think either one of those were really his fault. He might have caught caught lead footed in the on the first one in in caught in no man's land, but uh, the. The stop, although it was off his head, still he, he he got out there, he made himself big, and he was able to stop that goal off uh, Fordyce, I think his name is, um, in order to keep it at 2-1. to one. Now there's no doubt that Edmonton are going to be aggrieved, and Colin Miller is going to have them so fired up for that second leg on Wednesday at BC Place. It's going to be a great game, Whitecaps are going with the one goal lead, three away goals, so big, big things there. But Miller and the players are going to be out for revenge. They've known that they can give the Whitecaps trouble. A little bit more fitness. If they hadn't taken their foot off the gas, I think the Whitecaps could have been coming into this with maybe even a two-goal deficit if if they had taken their chances. What what do you think we're going to see next Wednesday? Is it going to be a comfortable Whitecaps win or is it going to be fingernail-biting time like it was for most of last year's second leg? I think we can expect Edmonton to come in the same way they came in last year with nothing to lose. I think they will go all out. I hope to see Vancouver put a better effort um, and take Edmonton seriously. So I expect an entertaining match. Obviously, uh, Edmonton is either going to have to win by two or score at least three goals in order to uh, extend this tie into extra time or even win it. So they they definitely have to come all out and, and see what they can do. And it's up to Vancouver to try to combat whatever Edmonton brings and counterattack and, and try to add some more goals and try to make it a more comfortable win. Now, there's probably not been many guys on Wednesday night that has done much to boost their chances of, of being in the starting lineup. Camillo with his two goals, I guess it's going to be hard to leave him out now, even though he did win one of them with a dive. He was busy for some of the game, so predictable for the rest of it, and Edmonton seemed to have him well well read and knew exactly what he was going to do. 
So not really looking at so much of anyone that's maybe played their their way into the team, although if there is anyone, let us know. But who do you think maybe played themselves out of the team, out of the starting eleven, with the way that they played on on Wednesday evening? The one person I can I can the one change I can see that might come from the Edmonton game is possibly like we said earlier, like I said earlier about Rio Coker. Um, I think he could might get a chance at the holding mid instead of Davidson. Um, Dallas only plays a, a one striker up top. Kenny Cooper usually is on the wing. Uh, they play one striker on top, so I don't know how much coverage they need that way. And maybe having uh, a, a midfielder who can move the ball quickly up the field, like Rio Coker can, maybe that, that would help them in their attack and probably break down the Dallas midfield better. Um, that might be an option. Uh, when he did move up, it was uh, either with Kofi or Tybert slid in his spot. So they always had somebody covering that one spot. And maybe they need somebody more shiftier and more attacking than Davidson in that spot. So that's, that's the one th- place I can see um, uh, they can change for from the Edmonton to the Dallas game. So let's count some chickens, which is very dangerous to do with this Whitecaps team. But let's assume, which I know you should never do, but let's just take it that the Whitecaps are going to get through, get into the Voyagers Cup final once again. Who are they going to play? What do you think the other semi-final? Who are going to be the Whitecaps opponents in the final that's going to stop them winning the Voyagers Cup this year? I was a little surprised that the um, Toronto actually got out to the lead. The only thing I could I didn't get to watch the game. I didn't have time to watch it, so I'm, I'm probably going to catch some highlights uh, in the next day or so. But... My only thought is, that is, is is Montreal already surrendering even before this the the you know first leg even started? So I don't know. I'm not sure what Montreal was thinking. Maybe their start in MLS and thinking that they can actually do some damage in MLS has maybe changed their priorities. Maybe they're not prioritizing the Voyagers Cup as much as uh, we thought they were going to. So that could be the big thing that they're thinking right now. Maybe. Uh, save those guys for MLS and not tax them that much. But in Montreal, I'm assuming that they will put as strong a team out as possible to try to get back in this leg. Well, who knows what the second legs are going to hold in store on Wednesday. I'm assuming it's going to be a Whitecaps-Toronto final again. But you can never write Montreal off. If Toronto go out and play a weak team on Wednesday and Montreal go out and put out all their first-team guys, then who knows what's going to happen. I went into this year's competition not expecting the Whitecaps to win it. I thought Montreal were going to win it. If Montreal don't get into the final, I haven't seen enough from Vancouver to make me think that they're they're going to win it over Toronto. So I think Toronto would be the favourites. And maybe going into the final as underdogs would, would help the Whitecaps a little bit. But it could be that the hopes of our first Voyagers Cup win and our first qualification for the Champions League is not going to happen. I hope it does, and... You have to have hope. As a football fan, especially someone like me that grew up watching lower league football, hope is all you have. And you have to have hope. You have to have dreams. There has to be things that down the line you want to see, you want to experience with your club, your country, just football in general. And one of them is the Whitecaps not just qualifying for the Voyagers Cup, but doing very well in the CONCACAF Champions League and beyond. And all that preamble brings us nicely to our new bucket list.
So we're going to start a new bucket list this episode. We're moving on from ground hopping. I'm sure you'll all be glad to, to know about that. And our new topic is, what football related things would you like to experience live and in person before you kick the bucket? So before the intro there, I was mentioning about Voyager's Cup. So we'll come to that in a sec. So let's start off with Steve. What kind of football events would you like to to experience yourself before you kick the bucket? One specific one would be seeing Canada in the World Cup. The Um, the Senior uh, World Cup? Yes, the Senior World Cup. We've already seen U17 once and it's going to happen again. But yes, the Senior World Cup. And you want to be there in person? Yes, we'd like to be there in person. I was hoping for Brazil, but that's obviously not going to happen for the 8-1 score reason. Like, I was too young in 86 to appreciate it. I was only 10 years old, so it's just a bit too young there to really understand. That's actually what got me into uh, football in the first place, That when they were in the World Cup. Um, but, Interesting. But the it was the but to see them live in person there, I think that would be awesome. I, I, I think it would be. With the Canadians in 86, I remember that, because obviously I'm a lot older than you. I would have been... What, 18 or something like that at the time. I still have my Panini sticker album from that World Cup. And I find it so weird now when I'm looking through that. And there's all these players in it that I was putting stickers in in the album. And now it's like I'm rubbing shoulders with them. I'm chatting to them. Some of them I would class as friends, like Davey Norman and... Valentine. Cal Valentine. And it's like we talk to Bobby all the time. And it's weird. But I like what you said about how that got you in into football. And that's what Canada needs. Canada needs the senior team to get to a World Cup to kind of ignite the passion, I think, of a lot of, of younger fans again. I think to be com- they need to be competitive. Just to, They don't ne- yeah. necessarily be in the World Cup right away, but need to get competitive where they can... It seems like they have a chance to get a World Cup because right now it doesn't seem like they have that right now. No. I mean, I, I've been to, to a World Cup finals. I was over in America in '94. Of all the places we could have gone, we managed to get a cheap trip that took us to the games in Detroit. Not the best place to probably experience your first World Cup, and Scotland weren't there either, but it was fantastic. Just everything that went with it, all the stalls that were there, just the whole razzmatazz, it was a fantastic experience. And as a bonus, you actually survived the trip to Detroit. Yeah, it it was kind of worrying when we booked into our hotel and we were told it would be a good idea not to, to leave it at night. But we survived, somehow, despite hanging around street corners for hours trying to get taxis and taking lifts off strange black guys that just stopped in the street to offer us a ride. But he was a, a sound guy, so that was good. I would love to to be at a World Cup again, though, and see Scotland in it. Actually be there and, and cheering on my team. I'd like to be at a World Cup, actually, um, and see Scotland and Canada in the World Cup finals. No, you mean finals, the tournament, not the final match. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if if I have to wait for Scotland to play Canada in a World Cup final, I'm probably about 600 years old, and I, I'm not sure my heart could take that. Well, science isn't there yet. Maybe we can get there soon. But it, it would be great just to, to see that, and I, I think a lot of our listeners listening to this, would that's going to be on, on their bucket list to, to try and experience that as well. But yeah, to, to see both, my countries, as as I'd like to think of it now, in a in a World Cup would be great. I'd actually settle for going to an under twenty or an under seventeen World Cup, or even the Olympics. I I think it's something I want to do again. I I'm thinking about going to Brazil, but it's not that easy to get there from Vancouver. 
Russia and Qatar, they don't really appeal to me as places to go. Especially Qatar, because Qatar, they're going to be covered from head to toe, most likely. I know, it's like, what's the point of having women like that? It's just, no. I, don't, I don't see that. And then speaking of women, my other thing on my bucket list would be to go to down south, to South America, and watch Copa America. Oh, and that would be Because good. that would you see beautiful women and beautiful football, I think. Well, as anyone that's listened to me on West Coast Soccer, they'll they'll know I like my Latina women, especially my Mexican girls, and that would be a fantastic experience. There has been talk, MLS sent something out today in, in their daily roundup, that they could be adding MLS clubs, not the Copa America, but it's the, the club version of it. They're looking at the Copa Libertadores, or how you pronounce it, in 2015-2016. So can you imagine maybe seeing the Whitecaps go and play in South America, would, would that be something you would want or would you more want to see Canada there or just the whole South American experience? Well, if the Whitecaps do, you'd wonder how they qualify because obviously they can't qualify through MLS because only American teams can qualify. Well, no, because they, they wouldn't have set the criteria and the, oh. the thing did say American and Canadian clubs. Okay. So it could be whoever wins the Canadian Championship or it could be the, the two up. MLS Cup Final. Yeah. People. So, I mean, that would be an interesting one. So Copa America would, would be another one of yours. What what else would you like to experience football-wise? I think uh, going to watch a really passionate derby. I, don't, I wouldn't have put it... It's hard for me to put a finger on it right now. Um, obviously, the major ones are is playing going to see a Barcelona-Real Madrid match. But you don't know how that's going to work out in a few years when if Mourinho leaves and there's no real, you know... Context like like you know, I think grittiness to it or not. But they always have that passion and animosity. But watching just one of those European derby matches, whether it's in Syria or um, East Fife Cowdenbeath, yeah, sure, why not? And then or in Germany or in England, I think one of those would be fun to watch, especially as an outsider. So I don't have to have a rooting interest in it. It would be nice to go to games as a neutral. I have to say, yes, yeah, seeing a Barca-Madrid game, it would be something that would, would be quite high high in my list as well. But if we're talking of club games, and this is kind of what I was hinting at with my link into this section, obviously I want to see the Whitecaps win the Voyagers Cup. Qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions League, that would be fantastic. But my dreams go beyond that. I want to see the day where the Whitecaps win the CONCACAF Champions League, and qualify for the FIFA World Club Cup. And I want to go and watch the Whitecaps, whether it's in Morocco or one other weird venue that they decide to to have the competition in. I want to see the Whitecaps play in the FIFA World Club Club Cup. I have lofty aspirations. Just like Paul Barber. Yep. I want to top see top 25 clubs yeah, in the world. I want to see us as one of the top five clubs <laughs> in the world. So I'm, I'm a bit... Beyond Paul Barber's no. wishful thinking. It's not going to happen as long as there's a cap. I Salary cap, that is. Yeah, yeah, not a white cap. I think I have to dream. And it's like, that's the whole thing with football. You have to dream. Yeah. You know that your team maybe isn't the best in the competition that's competing in. White caps aren't the best in the MLS just now. Never mind. We haven't won a Voyager's Cup yet. And will this be the year? Probably not. Montreal, I still think, is going to to win the Voyagers Cup this year. But you have to dream. You have to have these lofty aspirations. And that takes me actually to another one of mine. I want to experience East Fife 
in the Scottish top flight again. They haven't been in the top flight since the 73-74 season. And at that time I was 4-5, I wasn't watching them. I've just had years of heartbreak from my first game watching them in 84. Couple of promotions along the way, couple of cup shocks, but on the whole they've been shit. And facing relegation again this year. So that's another one of my things that I want to experience. And I don't know, if they made the top flight, I'd maybe move back to Scotland just so I could actually experience that. Spend the whole year there? Maybe a year, maybe three, six months, but... I, I couldn't miss seeing that. After watching them play such dross for years, the chance of them being in the top flight again, that, that would be fantastic for me. So that's probably the, the three main things I would like to experience before I kick the bucket. You got any other ones that you want to add? Or? No, I think those are the three that I had too. Yeah, well, those are good ones. anyone listening to this, if you want to let us know yours, either drop us an email at aftncanada at hotmail.com or... Send us something on Twitter or in the comments section on Canadian Soccer News. Let us know what football-related things you'd like to experience live or in person. And if you want to record anything to put up in the podcast, get in touch and we can sort that out as well. So that's nearly everything from this week. I've got something else I, I just want to cover at the end, but we'll, we'll say our goodbyes for now. Steve, tell people where they can find you online. Um, I'm a, uh, I write for Post America and obviously Canadian Soccer News, and my Twitter account is at WhitecapsBeat. And I'm Michael McCall, and you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can also read AFTN Daily online over on Canadian Soccer News. Just visit aftn.ca. Now I just want to end this week's podcast with something a little bit special and personal to me. Anyone that knows me or has read my stuff or has listened to me waffle on endlessly on various podcasts, you'll know I'm an East Fife fan. My other UK footballing love is AFC Wimbledon. I've been a long time member of the Dons Trust. I just love the story of the fans getting together, owning the club, fighting through adversity, coming through the non-league ranks in English football and regaining their place in the football league. The Dons Trust have also given a lot of support to East Fife fans over the years as we tried to oust their chairman a few years ago, highlighted the campaign in their programme, came up and, and visited as well when we had our own supporters trust start and started to buy into the club and, and had ownership of East Fife. AFC Wimbledon is a club that means a lot to me. I was recently over in the UK at the start of the year and I took in two games at King's Meadow. Fantastic atmosphere, just a fantastic club all round. So many people have worked tirelessly and put in so many hours to help the Wombles regain their league status two years ago. It was a magical moment, but that moment is now under risk. Wimbledon are sitting second bottom of League 2 with one game to play. If they win on Saturday against Fleetwood Town... They will retain their league status and be in League 2 next season. Relegation for Wimbledon after all that the fans and the owners have been through is unthinkable. Going down to the division, it's going to be hard for them to come back up. They're already not on a level playing field money-wise because they are a fan-owned club. The fans this year have started a campaign to raise £400,000 to try and increase the playing budget for next year so that the manager can at least try and be on some kind of level footing with those around them in League 2. 
I'll be getting up early on Saturday morning, 7am Vancouver time, to watch the scores come in. Hopefully Wimbledon can pull off an escape act and beat Fleetwood Town. All they need is the three points. The win will secure their status because York and Dagenham play each other and they're both above them in the table. I'm going to leave you with some audio from one of the Wimbledon games I took in at King's Meadow at the start of the year. So good luck to the Wombles on Saturday. Good luck to the Whitecaps on Saturday. Good luck to East Fife on Saturday. If I only end up with one win out of that, I want it to be the Wombles. Thanks for listening to episode 5 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. And until next week, be safe and take care. Shops and your mum's in, made his wife.